brothers and sisters, please open your copy of God's Word to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Remember that this passage is in many ways preparing the people of Israel for the hearing of God's law found in Deuteronomy chapter 5. We turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4. We'll be reading from verse 1 through 14. However, we'll focus in simply on verse 1 through 8. Reading from verse 1 through 14, focusing in on verse 1 through 8. Hear the word of the Lord. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. For the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them. For that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who when they hear all these statutes will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon Him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. How on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of the words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. And He declared to you His covenant, which He commanded you to perform. (laughs) That is the Ten Commandments. And He wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you are going over to possess. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Congregation, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning asking for your help to understand, to love, and to apply your word. We pray that you would give us ears to hear, a heart to receive, and hands ready to carry out what you teach us here. That you would teach us of the love of God. That you would teach us of the law of God. 
that You would teach us of the seriousness and the beauty of it. That we would rejoice in Your law. In Jesus' name, Amen. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, in many ways, the law of God has ceased to be an important thing in the church. In fact, in churches around this country, the law of God has become almost a taboo subject. You may ask me, what do you mean by this? When I say that the law of God has ceased to be important, what do I mean? Well, the law of God in so many places in the church is ignored. Around the U.S., in mainline churches especially, but even in churches that claim to be reformed, it seems as though American culture has become the new law. We could go and spend hours over each of the Ten Commandments and how easily they're ignored. I think a few examples will do. Divorce is increasingly common in the church. Gossip runs rife. Images of God are ubiquitous. People take the names of the Lord in vain all the time. Even people who claim to be Reformed believers will often say, oh my God. We could go over each of the Ten Commands and see that the law of God is ignored. Congregation, even when the law isn't ignored, the law of God as a whole is often spoken of in negative terms. How often do we hear that the law only exists to show us we can't fulfill it? Certainly, we cannot fulfill the law. But that's not the only reason the law exists. How often do people talk about salvation as if it's a license to sin? Well, certainly there's forgiveness in Christ. That's no excuse to leave behind God's law. There are even people in the visible church today who will say that if we don't sin a little, God died for nothing. Certainly you've heard that, congregation. It's gotten to the point that many may ask the question when they hear God's law every Sunday, why should we keep God's law? For what purpose do we read from Exodus chapter 20 or from Deuteronomy chapter 5 every Sunday? Why do we continually go over the law of God? Why should we even think about God's law in this day and age? After all, we have Jesus. And so to those who don't understand the beauty of God's law, for the unbeliever, the law of God seems to be pointless. And even believers in the church can fall prey briefly to this sort of 
temptation or deception that the law of God should not be treated with the seriousness and with the joy that it commands. There are so many in churches today, some of you certainly sitting here, who think of God's law as if either it's something we can leave behind or it's something that we perhaps set aside because we no longer need it. Brothers and sisters, it shouldn't be. The law should be a joy to us. The law should be something we rejoice in. So the law should be something we treat with dignity. David, in Psalm 19, speaks of the law as more to be desired than gold and much fine gold. He speaks of it as sweeter than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. When you read God's law, congregation, do you say the same thing? When the world asks us about God's law, do we have an answer like the words that David speaks here? Do we consider the beauty of God's law and think of God's law as something which we should love? How can we learn to love God's law? Why should we keep God's law? These questions Moses begins to answer in the passage before us this morning. So congregation, let's look here at verse 1-8. through We'll see that God's law is something to be treated seriously and something to be rejoiced in. Congregation, when we ask the question, why keep God's law? The first answer that we find here in this passage is that we should keep God's law because God's law is serious. God's law is serious. Look with me once more at verse 1-4. through God, through the voice of Moses, says, And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules which I am teaching you, and do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word I command you, nor take from it that you keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. For the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. Congregation, this passage cannot be understood without first understanding the context of what is going on in this passage. The first thing that we need to know when we come to this passage is that Moses is, so to speak, on his deathbed. He knows that in just a short while, he will leave the Israelites. He will catch a glimpse of the promised land, and then he will die. He knows that he doesn't have long to spend with these people. This congregation that he's worked with now for 40 years. 
like any good pastor, then his first thought is, well, what should I say to the people? And when God commands him to speak, what is his first thought here? It's the law of God. Congregation, if you knew that you were about to die, boys and girls, if you knew that someone you loved you would never see again, what would you focus on? Would you spend your time speaking of pleasantries, asking them about the weather and their thoughts on the current political situation? Would you spend your time talking about this or that or the other minor issue in their lives? Certainly not. You would want to go and tell them the most important thing that you want them to hear. You would want them to know so that when you leave them, they won't be left helpless. Moses certainly knows the people of Israel are not helpless. They have, after all, the Lord their covenant God. And Moses knows furthermore that Joshua will succeed him. But nonetheless, his concern here is for the people of Israel. And so when he turns to the law of God, he is turning to what is the most important thing on his mind. And it is what God has commanded him to speak as the people prepare to enter the land. And Moses knows two very important things about the people that are about to enter this land. He knows, first of all, that these people are the people of future promise. They have expectations for the future. Remember, brothers and sisters, where Israel came from. They came from a man as good as dead who had heard the voice of God call him out of his idolatry and promise him three things. Descendants. A promised land. And that there would be a blessing. This promise, or these promises, Abraham waited for for the rest of his life. He saw the seed of the promises. Though he was promised a nation, he died with one son of the promise. Though he was promised a land, he died with a burial plot. Yet he looked forward. He waited for the promise to be fulfilled. And his son Isaac waited. And his son Jacob. And their sons. And their sons. And their sons. For over 400 years, the people of Israel waited as they began to see this promise fulfilled in the coming of a nation. And the people grew. And yet they waited. And then the Lord took them out of bondage, out of Egypt. And yet they waited for 40 years. You can imagine the expectation that would have been in their hearts as they look forward. They're only a few short days, weeks, or months from entering into the land. 
Can you imagine the sort of expectation that they would have? Boys and girls, certainly many of you uh, give and receive gifts on Christmas. And when you look underneath the tree or however it is that you give gifts, quite often there's this expectation. You can't wait to open your presents to see what's inside. You can't wait to see what other people think of the gifts you got them. But if the expectation for small gifts like this is so great when we only wait a couple weeks, how much more these people who have been waiting for centuries, all their lives, many of the people listening born in the desert, grown and still waiting having children of their own. What a sense of expectation there would have been. But congregation, these people that Moses spoke to were not just a people with expectations for the future. They were also a people of past failures. As soon as they left Egypt, they began to long for it again. They fell into idolatry with the golden calf in Exodus chapter 32. They were led astray by fear over the people of Canaan and refused to enter the land in Numbers chapter 13. They began to question God's leaders in Numbers chapter 16. And only a few months before the events of Deuteronomy chapter 4, they had fallen into worship of a false god at Baal Peor. Time and time again, the unbelief of the people of Israel showed itself in the actions they committed. Time and time again, the people of Israel had shown a disregard for the law. Time and time again, their hope was not fixed on God. They may have looked forward to the coming promise, but they didn't care about the promise giver and the law He gave them and the covenant He gave them and the joy that was to be found there. Their hope was fixed on a physical land to call their own. God's law meant nothing to them. If anything, it was a means to an end. Their actions betrayed it. Their attitude betrayed it. Their hearts betrayed it. And Moses knew all this. He knew of the expectations these people had for the future. He knew of the constant failings they had in the past. He himself had failed. So when Moses begins to address the people, he wants to impress upon them the seriousness of God's law. That it's not something to be trifled with. That it's not something to be handled lightly. That these people expecting the promised land were not to get there and then forget about the words that God had given them. They were not to come into the promised land and then toss aside God's law like so much garbage. With that in mind, these first four verses make a lot of sense. Moses isn't addressing a people that is perfect. He's addressing a people with disdain for God's law. 
He's addressing a people who might think of God's law as something not quite necessary. First, Moses knew that the people of Israel had the tendency to toss God's law out. So how does Moses begin in verse 1? He begins by warning them that the land they so eagerly look forward to is something given to them by God. And it's something furthermore that God can take away. This expectation that they have for the future is something that is tied to God's law in a sense. They can't remain in the promised land if they despise His Word. Don't misunderstand me, believers. God fulfills His promises. Later in this very same chapter, Moses speaks of their entering the law as a foregone conclusion that it will happen. But he also says here and elsewhere that if they were to enter the law, the land and then just ignore the law of God, that they wouldn't live long. So he says, verse 1, be careful to listen to the law of God to do it, that you may live. That you may enter into the land. That you may take possession of it. This land that the Lord your God has given you. And second, Moses knew that the people of Israel had the tendency, if not to completely throw away God's law, they certainly had the tendency to modify it. In verse 2, Moses addresses this problem as well. He says, You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. How frequently in Israel's history do we see this taking place? That the people of Israel would go and they would say, well, God's law is nice and all. But certainly it can't apply to this situation. Or certainly it does apply to this other situation. Adding words. Taking words away from the law of God. Moses wants them to know that God's law is serious. This is not something that they can deal with lightly. They can't shuffle God's law like a deck of cards. They can't simply remove what doesn't suit them. Third, Moses knew that the people of Israel had a tendency not only to ignore the law of God, but to ignore the lawmaker himself. And that's what we see in verse 3 and 4. Moses addresses this. He reminds them of one of their most recent failures. That they had left God in order to worship a false idol. That only those who cling to the Lord are saved and survived. He wants them to notice it's not merely God's law that they keep, but it is the law of their God. He wants them to worship God and not others. He wants them to remember that it is God who saved them and it is God who destroys the wicked. And it is those who cling to God alone that are saved. 
Brothers and sisters, sometimes when we read from the Old Testament, when we consider the events of the Old Testament and how often Israel failed, we can look upon these passages with disdain upon the people of Israel, snub our nose at them, and say, well, certainly I wouldn't fall into the same problem. But congregation, the fact of the matter is that the church today is much like the church of Moses' day. Just like the Israelites, the wicked in the church today often think of God's law as a means to an end. This leads the wicked to throw out or to ignore the law of God when it suits them. This is one of the reasons why the law of God is thought of as a burden in the church People think of salvation as a get-out-of-hell-free card and nothing else. So why keep God's law? Why love God's law? Why even consider God's law when after all, we're only in it for the promised land? We're only in it for heaven. If we think of salvation... And if we think of being part of the church as a get-out-of-hell-free card congregation, well, then it makes sense to throw away God's law when it's not needed, so to speak. When the wicked are unable to throw out the law completely, just as the Israelites were prone to modify God's law in the same way, Those of the church today often treat the law as if it's something malleable. They assure themselves that God's law certainly can't be talking about this or that or the other circumstance that they find themselves in. You'll find this all the time in churches today. People are quick to assent to the law of God in general terms, but the moment that it actually applies to them, they say, well, that, that, that can't be. Let me give you a couple examples. A very obvious example. When someone is caught in adultery or fornication far, far too often, the people excuse themselves with, well, but I love him or her. As if God's law somehow has an asterisk, an exception. Well, do not commit adultery except when you love the person. They think of God's law as malleable. Can't apply in their case. Another example. When someone's caught stealing, almost invariably they have a defense. Well, they won't miss what I'm taking. They have more than they know what to do with. I need it more than them. One more example, perhaps more widespread and more uh, accepted in churches today. We see in our Reformed churches. The ninth commandment is not only a commandment against lying, it's also a commandment, as the Heidelberg Catechism puts it in question and answer 112, to guard and advance our neighbor's good name. And yet, how common is it to see people in our churches And how common do we ourselves badmouth others, slander them, 
How often do we engage over gossip? How often do we treat the names of others as if it's something that can be toyed with? And some of us, certainly in hearing this, will say, well, yes, but my gossip isn't bad. Yet we are called to uphold people's names. We are called to care for the good reputation of others. Thirdly, congregation, there are so many who, despite being in the church, they treat God as if He Himself is unimportant. Rather than cling to God and His Word, they let themselves be distracted by everything that the world has to offer. So, brothers and sisters, I turn to you this morning. Do you think of God as someone who thinks little of His own law? God is just. He will not allow forgetfulness of His law. God is serious and treats His law seriously. He will not allow His law to be twisted. God is jealous. He will not allow His people to forget Him, the lawgiver. Examine your hearts, congregation. Unbelievers, I speak to you directly now. Know for certain that no one who hates God's law will enter the kingdom of heaven. God takes His Word and His law seriously. And you, believer, when you are tempted to minimize God's law, listen carefully to the words of Moses here. Salvation and life comes only to those who cling to God, who love God's law. Congregation, listen to God's Word carefully. Moses is not teaching works righteousness here. He is not teaching in some way that we're saved by our works. Nor do I mean to insinuate that in any sense of the word. We are not saved by our works. We are saved by Christ. And it is only those who cling, as verse 4 says, to God that are saved. Don't misunderstand that. But what I am saying and what this passage is saying and what God is declaring to you this morning is the same thing that Proverbs 20, verse 11 says. Even a child makes himself known by his acts, by whether his conduct is pure and upright. What God is saying is the same thing that Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 16. You will recognize them by their fruits. Those who are saved bear fruit in keeping with salvation. Those who listen to God's law. Those who cherish the law of God as it's given to them. Those who cling to God. It is those people whom God blesses. God treats His law seriously. We should as well. But in the second place, congregation, we should love and cherish God's word because, or God's law, because God's law is beautiful. God's law is beautiful. 
God, through the mouth of Moses, begins our passage by reminding them of the serious nature of God's law. But now he continues on a more positive note. Rather than simply remind them of the consequences of failing to keep God's law, he speaks instead of the beauty of the law, the blessing of the testimonies that it brings to the people of Israel. He presents three specific reasons why this law is beautiful. Something we should not only treat seriously, but we should also rejoice in. Let's examine them together. First, verse 5 and 6, God's law is beautiful because God's law is our wisdom. Verse 5 and 6 says, See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them. For that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who when they hear all these statutes will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Congregation, when Israel entered into the promised land, God wanted His people to be different from the rest of the world. He wanted them to be guided not by human wisdom, but by divine wisdom. It's this wisdom that was to set them apart from the nations. And it's this wisdom that is to be found in the law of God. Consider how the wisest men of the Old Testament spoke of God's law. Job spends a whole chapter in in Job chapter 28 considering where God's law, or excuse me, where wisdom is to be found. And he concludes the fear of the Lord. That is wisdom. To turn away from evil, that is understanding. David, in the longest chapter of the Bible, and what is surely one of the most beautiful Psalms, Psalm 119, declares, Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Solomon, after an entire book in Ecclesiastes, musing on the topic of wisdom, he says, the end of the matter all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. God's law is the sum, then, of all wisdom. God's law teaches us a beautiful way to live. It's not something that drags us down. In the Old Testament, it was by this wisdom that the people of Israel were to be recognized. The congregation, if the law of God was the wisdom of the Old Testament. If the law of God was wisdom for Job, for David, for Solomon, how much more should the law of God be our wisdom? The people of the Old Testament, they looked forward to the fulfillment of the law 
but they had the law received on dead tablets of stone. They heard the law thundered from a mountain. But you and I, congregation, if we truly trust and love Christ, well then we know Christ who is the perfect fulfillment of the law. If we know Christ, well we know the One who is wisdom personified. If we know Christ, we know the One in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If we know Christ, it is Christ who gives us the Spirit of wisdom. And the New Testament declares to us that God writes His law not on tablets of stone, but in our hearts. So brothers and sisters, if for the Old Testament believers, the law of God was their wisdom, how much more for us who have Christ, wisdom Himself. We should rejoice to keep God's law. Second, God's law, Moses declares, is beautiful because God's law is our covenant sign. God's law is our covenant sign. Look at verse 7 with me. He says, For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call on Him? This truth, too, was to set apart Israel from the rest of the world. No other country had a covenant God. No other nation had a God who listened to their prayers. Every other nation had a God who was false and far away and couldn't hear what they were saying. But Israel had a God who cared. Israel had a God who declared to them, you will be My people. I will be your God. And this was an encouragement to the people of Israel because it was a reminder to them that they not only had the law, but they had the lawgiver who promised to dwell among them, who was in His temple in Jerusalem, in this day in the tabernacle among them. Yet once more, congregation, if this is true for Israel, how much more true for the church today. Israel had the promise that God was among them. But in Christ, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Israel had the promise that they would belong to God. But we, by faith in Christ, are sons of God. Israel received the promise that God would put His name and His tabernacle among them, but Christ promises to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He promises, if anyone loves Me, He will keep My Word, and My Father will love Him, and we will come to Him and make our home with Him. Congregation, the people of Israel had a knowledge of the presence and the covenant that God had given them, of the fact that they belonged to God. But how much more us? Because through the New Testament we see the death of Christ on our behalf. 
so that we might be redeemed and belong to God. If in Christ we have yet a greater knowledge of the presence of God, congregation, we should also have a greater love for and understanding of God's Word. Thirdly, finally, God's law is beautiful because God's law is righteous. Verse 8 tells us, What great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? This too, brothers and sisters, set the people of Israel apart. The gods of other nations were immoral and amoral. Some of you who have studied, for instance, Greek myths know this to be the case. How often do we see these false gods of other nations even in the stories of the other nations acting wickedly? How often do we see these most special representations of their gods showing their debauchery? And that's reflected in the laws of other nations' congregations we find that when a people worships a false god, they have a false morality. Their hearts convict them and excuse them. They twist God's law until for them it's something often completely different. We see this in our world today. How many people, using the example of what's going on right now, how many people think of abortion as something good? As something which should be encouraged, praised, rejoiced in. But God and His law are righteous. We don't need to be concerned that we're doing the right thing. When we look to God's law, we have a perfect representation of what the right thing is. When we come to God's law, we have the truth. We don't need to worry if our God is a righteous God because we can see through His law. God's law is perfect. There's no flaw in it. For this reason, the people of Israel could write and look to God's law with joy. Congregation, once more, if if Israel had a reason to rejoice in the righteousness of God's law, well then in Christ we have much more. In Christ, we see what Israel could not see with the clarity that we see. Israel had some small portion of what it meant to fulfill the law. But in Christ, we see perfect obedience. In Christ, we see perfect righteousness. In Christ, we see His death paying for our sin perfectly. So when we look at the righteousness of Christ and we trace it back and we see the righteousness of God's law and we trace it back and we see the character of God, we can rejoice in the law and we can say, this law is sweeter than honey. 
purer than gold. Congregation, as we conclude our passage before us this morning, then, if we truly believe these things, that God takes His law seriously, but that this same law is a law of wisdom, a law of covenant, a law of righteousness, if we see these things, congregation, it should be our joy, our delight to praise and worship God with His law. Not because it saves us. It doesn't. We can never keep God's law. It is Christ alone who could. And Christ alone who saves us by fulfilling the law. But congregation, if we see that these things are so, then shouldn't it move our hearts to look at God's law with reverence? Shouldn't it move our hearts and our hands to live a life in every way that we can following this law because it's a law of wisdom? Because it's a law which shows us that we belong to the lawgiver. Because it's a law that shows us the righteousness that we have in Christ. Shouldn't it be our joy? Shouldn't it be our rejoicing? If we have this knowledge of God, congregation, then let's, let us say with David, that your law is greater, purer than gold, more to be desired than honey. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that your law would be our delight. We pray that you would teach us not to throw away God's law, not to mishandle God's law, not to forget the lawgiver. We pray that you would teach us to treat your law seriously. But we pray also, Lord, that you would teach us to take this law with rejoicing. That we would not turn to it for salvation, for salvation cannot be found in it, but that we would turn to it in rejoicing that we may please our God by learning to be like Him. That we may, by this law, learn wisdom. That we may, by this law, look to the God who dwells with us. That we may, by this law, know the God who is righteous and perfect and who died on our behalves. We pray also, Lord, for the unconverted here this morning. That they would look upon God's law not as something that can save them, 
That they would look upon God's law not as something which can help them, nor as something which is to be thrown away, but we pray, Lord, that they would look to God's law and that they would see Christ there. That they would look to these Ten Commandments and that they would, in them, view the Savior. We pray all this, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, our perfect, holy, righteous Lord. Amen. Amen. Congregation, in in response to the, the hearing of God's Word, let's stand to sing from number 462. Number 462, Take My Life.